Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is a comedian from Philadelphia, David Feinberg. David does the So Tell Us podcast with Jared McCallie. It's a really fun podcast. You should check that out. I happen to be a guest. That's my favorite episode, so go for that. We talked about podcasting, how we got to start at Temple University, and basically, I tried to get into his head and see what makes him David Feinberg. It was a nightmare, but I had a lot of fun with it. You guys are going to like him a lot. We've got some live comedy for you, too. At 8 p.m. Saturday, November 21st, you can see Bill Lake, Andy Kuhn, and Connor Swagler at the On The Zoom Comedy Show. You can find all the information on Facebook. Tickets are 5 bucks. We can Venmo $5 to Mike Peters Comedian, and I'll give you the code. The room opens up at 7.30, and believe me, you don't want to miss Connor Swagler, Andy Kuhn, and Bill Lake. They're awesome. Tickets are $5 on Facebook, or you can join the Patreon and get every comedy show for just $5 a month. And it helps pay for this podcast, so I appreciate everything. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about it. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you next week. I appreciate you doing it. Of course. It's my pleasure. It's uh, incredible to be asked to do this kind of shit. It's crazy, you know? Yeah. We did So Tell Us, what, two days ago, three days ago. Yeah. And uh, is this weird for you being on, I mean, because you're usually hosting and now I'm interviewing you. Is that weird for you? Um, I I legitimately, I, um, I'm so much weirder and more fucked up, like outside of So Tell Us, I think than I am on the podcast. Like really, like I feel like I'm I, I can be pretty reserved there. And so that's nice to like I really I do feel like comedy is like a lot of facets for me. People are always like when I see your Instagram stuff, it's nothing like when you do stand up. And I'm like, yeah, that's because I don't want to do Instagram stand up. I I want to be fucking weird and make videos about fucking dog crap and shit like that. I like weird stuff in some facets and I like very standard comedy in other facets. So it's like with the podcast, it's always about like, I love interviewing. I think funny ass interviews are great, but uh, I really do think that that's just like getting the gas off of one of the pipes as opposed to the whole fucking shooting match, you know? Yeah. What I've noticed, because I've been on a bunch of podcasts, you know, to promote this one and a little bit before, but mainly because I I keep wanting to get people to listen. But I'll go on to a podcast and I have to make sure I'm reserved and well behaved so I don't take over an interview like I'm used to doing on mine. I've hosted so many hosts on this podcast and I can tell who is trying to uh, combat that mindset and who just doesn't give a shit. They're like, no, oh, yeah. this is how it's going. And like a couple of times I've recorded uh, my episode and then theirs right back to back or the other way around. And it's like, okay, well, well, this guy is definitely in the driver's seat. He thinks it's his podcast. I've got to yell at him for it. Oh, I so that's the no, kind of fun part for me. Isn't that interesting though? It's like, I, I do, I find that there's some pressure sometimes when it's like interviewing another person or like, you know, getting into it that way. But I, I really like being asked onto a podcast because I could just go hog wild normally, as long as I don't like get in my own head about it, you know? I hope I don't fucking take it over or anything. I like to right. have a conversation, you know? 
Well, I'll let you know if you do, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. And like the, the cool part about being asked to be on a podcast is that once the host, you know, we're doing this over Zoom, but once the host hangs up, no responsibility. It's like, okay, oh, I'm yeah. done. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about editing or doing anything like that. Or, you know, you're with Jared McCallie. Like, the best part about this podcast is I don't have to talk to Jared ever almost. <laughs> so, like, I've got that going for me. And uh, but I just, but I just love being a guest because I'm like, okay, sit back and let's talk about Billy Madison, you know? Right. We'll yeah. That you can just for see a little whatever bit and dumb shit's going to come across. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing is that I, like, if I'm in a weird ass headspace, I'm just going to rock with that head. One time, the first time I ever got asked to do a podcast, I did this, like, my first sketch podcast. And I, I didn't realize it, but I ate <laughs> – this is going to sound so fucking stupid. I ate too much chocolate and I got like a, a sugar rush. And so I was I, – I went into my room and I pulled a blanket over my head and was just there with my mic and my computer and like was just gunning about like sketch comedy culture and shit like this. And that's when it's the good stuff, when you're just like fucking rolling with it and like really – oh, you're trucking. Oh, I love that shit. Oh, it's the best. I also like a podcast that where one time I was on a friend of mine, my friend Sweet Dog's podcast, and he was like, you better get fucked up before this podcast. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So I did. <laughs> What's your drink of choice to get fucked up? I recently have been, I just spilled a bunch of it in my backpack. I drink Jack Daniels honey mixed with uh, apple cider. That's like autumn for me. And then besides that, I drink a fair amount of rum, actually. I like Captain and ginger ale is what I drink a lot. So I drink that. And then I also, I drink like beers, but I don't like IPA and shit like that. That's not my my speed. I don't like like bitter hopped up shit. So to let everybody else in on this, I I had, I did your podcast and I made like a faux pas and I thought you were 30 and you're like, no, I'm 24. So you're telling me like, like, oh, I, I drink Jack and rum and I don't like IPAs. Like, dude, I don't like rum. I don't like Jack. I like IPAs. Like maybe you're the older one and I'm the younger one. I just think <laughs> that you've got this older mind. Yeah, man. That's, it's been a fucked up journey of people thinking I was <laughs> old as fucking dirt. When I was little, I used to get like, I would go to like bar mitzvahs when I was seven at my synagogue and there's be like the lunch afterwards. And I would entertain old men by like holding a, a little like Shirley temple or some shit. And I'm like, so glad that's how that sentence ended about shit. Just like holding like a little drink with my little suit on. I've been an old man for a long ass time. It's crazy. Like it's so fucked up, right? Like people, no one, guesses how old I am very well. It's it's awful. When I was a baby, my parents used to say that, uh, you know, I look like an old man. But ever since I probably was like three or four, I've looked like I was three or four. Like I would get uh, I would get ID'd everywhere. Uh, I told you before, but but I got ID'd uh, when I was a, a sports writer and I covered high school sports. I would get ID'd in high schools. You know, they're like, oh, what are you? I'd be at like South River High School in you know, below Annapolis. And they're like, oh, uh, what school are you from? I'm like, no, I, I'm 27. Yeah. I'm 28. And like, uh, can you prove it? And I'm like, yeah, but this isn't a bar. Like, I yeah. I didn't think I had to get carded to get in here. And like at football games, you know, uh, I was with the press and and I could get in for free. 
but they would ask, Oh, are you a coach for this team? I'm like, no, I'm, and it wasn't until like I was maybe 28 to where I could actually grow facial hair that people could see. Oh, yeah. So at, at that point I'm like, I got to grow it out just to, you know, help my self esteem. Oh my God. Yeah. My, my younger brother, he just grew uh, a beard and he was like, I used to be, uh, people would look at me and they would go and they would be like enthusiastic to help. You know how like people, like if you're a young person and you walk into a record store and you're like, do you have any like metal records? I'm looking to get into metal or such. And people, if you're young looking, people will be like, you should try this. You should try that. Sepultura, Slayer, all this shit. But if you like, as soon as you grow a beard, people are like, get the fuck out of here, you midlife crisis piece of shit. <laughs> like, no one wants to help a man. People want to help a boy. No one wants to help a fucking man. <laughs> it's awful. Like, this shit goes right out the fucking window. My brother was walking past a music venue once, and there he was like, a year beforehand, he had been walking past the same one, and he was like, what's this band? The guy was like, oh, it's this band. You might really like them. Check this out. Because you look like you're part of the demographic that they want to relate to. But now you're just a street walking right. piece of shit. Now you're, now you're just another <laughs> guy. You're a guy. Oh, the worst. That's funny. So you're 24. You, you went to Temple, yeah. right? Yeah. Did you get started in stand-up at school? Yeah. I got real into the comedy scene at Temple Starting my freshman year, I started doing first improv club religiously, and then I was a member of a sketch comedy group called Temple Smash. And then there was an open mic that happened. It was the the only one I started doing stand up when I was nineteen, and I did it at an, an open mic, the fucking worst open mic ever at the Sage Cafe, where it was like at a coffee place, and there would be no one there. And then they would, like a month into it, they got an ice machine like to make smoothies. So you'd be doing your set. You oh, know, I know where this is going. Dogs and shit. And just like. <laughs> and you just have to wait. You couldn't do it. It was loud as shit. So I, there was that. And then you could like illegally get into some places. The people at Medusa. Well, Medusa was run by the bartender there was crazy. One time she pulled me aside and she was like, uh, you're not 21. And I was like, no, I'm not. And she went, sit right there. And I thought she was going to call the police. And then 20 minutes later, she came back and I had just sat there. And she was, she was like, what are you sitting there for? And I was like, you told me to sit here, you fucking lunatic. And then it, it got shut down. But those are like the, there was only like a handful of places that you could get out, get into it and you'd be fucking nervous as shit. But yeah, that was, that was the first place. And like, eventually I went on to run all of those things. Like I ran the open mic at the stage cafe and I ran Temple Smash and I read Temple Improv Club. But yeah, that was like, I, I mean, my whole college experience was comedy all the way through. And like, I, I have a media studies degree and I really liked it, but the comedy was all I gave a shit about. I was doing it all the time. And it was like the only thing I invested in. That was, yeah, that was definitely the beginnings. Yeah. That makes me so jealous because I went to Mansfield. Do you know where the, that is? No. What's oh, that? You know what? You know, that's my only hope was that you're from the Philly area. So you would know where Mansfield was. No, uh, I, I am from the Philly area. I'm just stupid as shit. 
I, just, I can't remember anything. <laughs> that doesn't say much about Temple. You know, that admission no, it process. Doesn't. <laughs> no, uh, it's not. Mansfield, Mansfield's a small school in northern Pennsylvania. So uh, uh, when I was there, they had 3,400 kids. I think they're down to about 19 kids now. Uh, so it's it's gone through a little oh bit God. of a hard time. And Well, that's an exaggeration. But uh, <laughs> the admission is down. So uh, not that drastic. But we didn't have any stand-up club like in hindsight i think if i had the interest like like really put in the the work we could have gotten a scene if i knew how to do it uh because like we've got a place that's on campus that you know is conducive to entertainment so we could have used that but you know i knew nothing about it and i was uh, yeah i was in the radio station the newspaper uh the television station so i was really involved in the communication field so i didn't have the time to really you know go into comedy but you know it was always a dream of mine. But at that point I settled for watching a whole lot of Mitch Hedberg and George Carlin yeah. and uh, you know, Stephen Lynch, those guys back then. So whenever I hear somebody say, Oh, you know, I started at 19, I started at 20. I'm so jealous of that. So, I mean, it's cause you have such a, I think at least you've got such a leg up on everybody else. Most everybody else going out for it. Well, I, there were, there were good things about it. And I was really happy to hear like, when I would hear interviews with like comedy heroes of mine, they were like, I started like around this time. The only people I, I am jealous of are like the people who started when they were like 13 years old and shit like that. And like they had their parents drive them places. Cause I knew for a long time, like at my overnight camp, we would have like improv clubs and shit like that. And I got, I mean, I'm, I'm okay at stand up, but I, I do feel like I'm very good at improv and I love improv and I was, I don't give a shit. Like people hate on it, but it's like, I do really love it. I really wish that there was something that reached out for kids that were even younger and got them started with it because it was, it's such a good outlet. All of comedy is such a wonderful outlet for kids. And it's like, when I started doing any comedy, I was like, this is fucking magic. And I I couldn't believe how incredible the people were and how innovative it all was. And like, I... I, my only regret really about comedy is that I didn't start sooner. I love every kind of comedy and I love doing it as much as I possibly can. And that's why, not to date this podcast, but it's uh, COVID right now. And uh, that's what sucks about it right oh, yeah, now yeah. is that there's no fucking outlet going on. I think that, that 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 is the greatest danger to your city is that there's a bunch of people in Philadelphia right now that can't go out and do comedy. They're going to fucking, they're slowly turning to shittier and shittier hobbies, you know? Uh, making postcards and uh starting podcasts and shit you know yeah i have uh well yeah like you yeah no legit i'll i'll shit (laughs) on myself man look i you think i would be doing a podcast if uh if it wasn't for fucking covid no i need this it was just it was just funny because like i'm i'm doing the math in my head i'm like no wait a minute that's you i get it yeah no it's 100 percent me man it really is like about outlets at the beginning of things i was like where are we gonna push the shit back out because it really is something like i said like about letting gas off the pipes and this is like it's like whatever that proto heroin is whatever like uh, whatever they wean you off heroin with that's the thing is that it's keeping me going but it's like not the same shit it's it's really quite a thing and i i hope that what happens is is that it like builds up the pressure in the spring and pushes it out towards uh, whatever comes next. You know, I hope that I go out every night and I'm writing every day, 
you know, and really just grinding it again. Cause I, I, I miss it so goddamn much not to wax poetic, yeah. but, uh, we're no, sad. I'm hoping the same, I'm hoping the same thing. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough, you know, in, in New York, we still have like a lot of restrictions. In fact, like, you know, uh, we just got a curfew uh, yeah. at, at the bars. So, you know, that that's going to suck. And we had just moved inside for an open mic. And I don't know if that's going to be affected. We start at seven. So we should be out before 10 anyway. So hopefully it's not wow. a big deal. But I don't know, you know, just on the participation, uh, you know, I've had at the outdoor mic and the indoor mic now over the last six months or so. I don't know how much of our scene is going to come back for comedy. And, that, oh, yeah. and, you know, Binghamton's not Binghamton isn't a, a huge scene. So if we yeah, I'm going to guess we lose half of the people. And, oh yeah, you know, and I, I think, you know, it might be OK because you always get more people. And so you kind of revitalize the scene that way. It just might take a little bit longer to build. And yeah. maybe the people who don't come back don't really want to do it anyway. So you, sh- yep. you kind of naturally shed and save their time, I guess, because they were probably going to make that call anyway, eventually. But that's kind of what I'm interested to see. And, you know, there are a lot of people in, in the Binghamton area who have been writing a lot and performing. Uh, the shows aren't really there, but the mics have been there a little bit. Oh, yeah. I I, I do wonder, like, uh, is the thing that's going to happen that, like, are a bunch of people going to be like, I only have so long to live because we've had like a year shaved off of our hobbies and be like, I need to get a fucking job. I can't keep doing stand up comedy. This is ridiculous. Or are people going to be like, I just had a year shaved off my life and I never took an improv class and my girlfriend broke up with me. And I fucking, I had to move out of my house or whatever. And like, are they going to be like, I got to go tell a a fucking joke, you know, before I uh, kick it. I hope that is my favorite phase to watch at least. Like I ran an open mic uh, at a a bar in Philly and uh, I I do love the first timers. Some of them are the weirdest, most fucked up thing and i mean you love them and then you hate them and it's all in the same fucking uh swing of things but like i truly 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 hope that we get a bunch of a bunch more fucked up weirdos uh (laughs) that come through the scene and start telling jokes about uh a chinese food place that they went to and they thought the experience was funny enough to put on stage and try to put us in the mindset of i hate those jokes if you tell those jokes and you're listening to this fuck you uh, I, hate shit. <laughs> I hate well i was that I, okay one time okay i was at a restaurant and okay my friend audrey she does this i hate that shit i hope that should be permanently banned Ugh. i noticed that a lot and i did it too uh um oh yeah when you're starting out you think that everybody in your story needs a name Nobody gives a shit about the name. And, and like, it's, you throw three names at us. It's like, all right, combine them into two people. You know, oh, just yeah. lie to us, lie to us to save us time. You that's can it. lie, like, right? Yeah. Isn't that, that's, yes. I hope, learn that before you start. You don't have to live through an experience. Lie about the experience. If you, if the amount of times that people that are just starting stand up come over to me and they're like, I really wish it had happened like this, I'm like, no one gave a shit before. Yep. And no one's laughing at it. So why don't you make it up, huh? For me. I think what what hurts people, and I, I compliment this guy so much. He's my favorite, Mike Birbiglia. If you haven't started stand-up and you watch Birbiglia, and he'll talk about his brother, and he'll talk about somebody else, he's got characters. Like, he's developed these characters throughout 
a number of years, and he's built a fan base who wants to hear about those characters. But when you just start out, you think, oh, people are going to want these characters. People don't want you. Like they, right. they don't like you yet. <laughs> They're not going to invest their time into somebody you know who you think they might like. So you like I feel think like full ego death. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like like my dream, you know, I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to be able to make all my money from comedy, of course. But I think my real dream is so that, you know, people will know my best friends. You know, oh, like, yeah. like they'll know they'll know my buddy Jeff or my friend Danielle, Jason, you know, they'll know these characters in my life because they like me. But no one likes me yet. I know <laughs> I know my limitations, you know, like I'm, I'm still working with my parents to like me. And that's hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Getting your parents. How many times have your parents seen your shit? Um, my parents came to my first show, which, you know, in hindsight, they they shouldn't have. The only reason I was happy they were at my first show was uh, I started the show by saying, well, this is going to be awkward because my parents are here and it's not going to be awkward because, you know, I'm going to talk about sex or or swear. It's just that I've been telling everybody they were dead for 10 years (laughs) and that got a huge laugh. And I'm like, that was the only real benefit to them being there because, you know, halfway through my set, my mom turned around and looked at the bar because she didn't want to hear what was coming out of my mouth. And I was like, all right, that was awkward. Uh, I think my mom has seen me twice and my dad has seen me three times in a little more than four years. So uh, actually, it's it's you bump up one because uh, I, I did a, an impromptu set at my grandma's uh, funeral reception. So what? like that was like uh, uh. it was weird. Like uh, my grandma died because that's what happens before the funeral. And yeah, classic, um, though. But <laughs> she uh, uh, we. You know, she went to the ground and I was talking, I was talking to the, yeah, I was talking to the, the pastor or minister coming up and I just told him stories and, and I had done my grandpa's eulogy and he was laughing at the stories because, because most of them were jokes that I told that week, you know, just to kind of like, you know, get it out of my head. And we sat down to eat and the guy grabs the microphone and he goes, yeah, I was talking to Elsie's grandson and Mike, why don't you come up here and say something about her? So, you know, which was, which is great though, because I don't know if you've ever told, you know, 10 minutes of stand up in front of 80 people who are there to mourn your grandmother, but <laughs> I got to tell you, best set I've ever had. It was really, they my, were in the, there's a warm crowd tonight, huh? Unlike, yeah, and, unlike and, old G-Ma, she called yeah, the ground, yeah. called the ground. Yeah, she would have hated uh, it, but, uh, <laughs> but the, the best part was like, I got off, I got off stage, you know, quote unquote, and uh, I told friends like, oh my God. Were you afraid? I'm like, no, wh- what were they going to do? Boo me? My right. grandma died. Like, come on. Like, like, That's a true this guy's in pain crowd. already. Yeah, right, fucking, exactly. Like, I, oh my God, I can't believe that. That's fucking crazy. That is true, though, is that like, if you're in the most emotionally raw spot, you can like, it doesn't matter. Like, you could probably just like knock it out of it. Like, I, I do like that. Like, the nights when you feel like totally emotionally detached and you're just working. But like, I mean, that's high stakes bingo. What you did, man, that is fucking yeah, it, was, it was great because there was no thought memory. behind it. It was like, yeah, well, it was all, it was all personal stories I told over the years. And you know, my, my grandma always thought I was gay because I was single <laughs> and you know, yeah. cause I, I wasn't married. I wasn't married at 14. She thought, you know, there was something quote unquote wrong with me. Cause oh, my yeah. grandma got married at 16 and was, you know, Jesus. a wife for 70 years. So, you know, that's just how it was. Right. And 74 years, I think. And 
Uh, yeah. So, it, but it was like, yeah, every time I would see her, she'd say, uh, do you have a girlfriend yet? And, you know, cause she's from Allentown and you know, people from Allentown, they all yeah. have this like sing song twang to them. The weird. Yeah. And, yeah, oh, it's, yeah. All, it's weird. Yeah. And, uh, so, but I just told stories and then afterward, uh, you know, third cousins or whatever they were, they would come up to me and she's like, yeah, Elsie told my, my nephew that too. Like she just wanted everybody to be married. And I'm like, she wanted everybody to be incredibly unhappy. Yeah, That's awesome. She what a lady. Everybody to get fucking laid up in this piece. Yo, welcome back to 95, <laughs> three. We're telling sexy stories about dead grandmas. Um, I, <laughs> did, did, did your parents see you do stand up? I mean, like, my were they into it? Did, so, I I did improv first and my parents they my parents love seeing me do improv. I'm like a little good boy. Like but I I mean I will be dirty when I do improv but like they really like those and for a little while my parents were showing up to shows just like randomly. When I was on a fit house team they would show up sometimes there and they they loved it. But they were like we're old. We can't be up this late cuz it's a you know it's a young man's game doing comedy, right? And so they would do that. And then for a few times, friends of my parents would show up to shows. My mom's in communications and she would like post about it online. And so I would just have like, you know, a group of fucking like, you know, young stoner improv nerds. And then like two old women like named Helen and Miriam, like show up at the show. And so my parents love to see those and they love to see my sketch shit. And then I did Philly's Funniest. Uh, oh God, it's gotta be like three years ago now. And that was the first time my parents brought like everybody, uh, everybody they could That's bring. That's what you need. They timed and it well. Yeah, it, it was what I needed. And I I went up and I, I did my shit and my shit can be pretty dirty. And it especially was back then. And my my mom was so ashamed, but Peggy <laughs> O'Leary, Peggy O'Leary was uh, at Helium and uh, not to not to put Peggy on blast, but had been drinking. And my mom, I was like, "Mom, did you like what I talked about?" And she and she was like, "It was really crass." And Peggy O'Leary turned around and was like, "Your son has a gift. Don't." squander it and i was like thank god like i needed what peggy o'leary was my mom that evening i i owe her i actually <laughs> tell her about that i like i don't think she remembers that shit <laughs> it was uh yeah i was my parents saw me do stand up once and they were like uh-uh not again they might like it more now i got a little bit more refined and it's a little more talky it used to be pretty crass it still is yeah but- yeah, I know the last time my parents saw me, it, it was a kind of a, a shitty show, but I had more jokes about them and it was more introspective. And, and you know, I, I mean, it was three years later into my career. So, you know, you're you're always a little better than you were when you just started. So they, they like that. And my parents think I'm funny. And that's I don't know. I didn't ask them because like the last show they saw me, uh, the crowd was weird. Uh Mm-hmm. It was like a you had a bar and then a dining room and people came for the show but stayed in the bar. Mm-hmm. So it was like really split and I'm like I'm talking to chairs and uh and they were like uh they were friends of one of the comedians and it's like get your friends sitting down so they can be part of the show. So oh, I yeah. think my parents took that like they graded me on the curve on that one. But <laughs> like and and the two people who followed me just ate it. So oh, I, was, I think they were like oh tough crowd anyway but but uh I think they like the material better 
the third time they saw me. But I've never done I've never done improv. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a truer gauge to see how my parents really think about you know, know how I how I act on the spot. I don't know. Fucking improv is such a fucked up mess, man. Im- stand up is like that's you're fucked up as an individual doing stand up, but uh, improv you're fucked up as like a big fucking weird rat fuck group. You're like this gross ass. Well, you sell it so well. I know, right? And I, I was the president of the improv club, but they, they used to call me the Prince of Darkness at Temple because I I would I was like, I love comedy, but fuck comedy, you know? Like there is, I don't know, there like there's something super squeaky clean about that, like about improv. I don't know why they shouldn't have it that way. Both should have more of what the other one has. I always say that, that like improv should take a little bit of stand-ups grittiness and like hard work ethics and being a little hard on yourself and uh stand-up should take some of improvs not taking themselves too seriously and supporting each other and like being a community and shit and that's what's fucked up to me is like it's all comedy and at least in philly people shit all over each other it's absolutely insane you're all it's like garbage collectors versus recycling collectors like you're both basically (laughs) doing the same thing shut up like you're all you're the same idiots you just one of you wears flamingo shirts and the other one like smokes they just stand on different side of the street there's like no discernible difference between all comedians and the really good comedians i think are the ones that shift back and forth i've gotten off topic yeah no, no, it's fine. No, I, I think uh, like, you know, and I don't know a ton of improv, but like I just remember Drew Carey was one of my favorites growing up and he did both. And like, yeah. I just think there's, you know, uh, you could just tell that that and I would think that, you know, and I've never done improv, but maybe you can help me out with this. If you do improv, does that make you a better stand up comedian? Um, no, I don't know. I think if you're bad, you're probably pretty bad. I mean, that's the thing is you can work, you could be a heart surgeon. If you worked hard, you could be a heart surgeon. So it's like, it's all doable. That's what I say to everybody. It's like the people who put in the time and really hone their shit with anything. Like I didn't, no one starts off good. Probably you just have crass ass parents like me, or you like, I read a million books about it. I love reading about comedy. And like, I do feel like there are people that are that grow up like with comedy as like a defense mechanism or they use it like, you know, in social situations. Like I just I feel like it's this weird ball of energy comedy. And like, why would you not want to take every chance you could to see it any way you possibly can? You know, like there's such great right. joy to be found in all these. Di- it's like if you really love what's the, there's a quote, the more you love music, the more music you love. And it's like, why not apply that to fucking everything? If you really love comedy, really love the shit out of like a lot of comedy. And it'll, it, it's refreshing. That's what I like about it is that like, I liked to do like Philly Improv Theater first show, run across the street to Helium to catch that show, then run back across the street to Fit, then go back to Helium, then go up to Raven Lounge. Why would you not want to do that? You could just laugh all day. And you're not going to do that because you think that improv sucks? Fuck you. I don't know. I've obviously got some pent up feelings I haven't had the chance to talk about for a while. <laughs> well, I will charge you a copay. 
That's fine. But you're fine here. Okay. <laughs> I would think Philly is a perfect place. Like, I, I, I don't know the scene very well. Uh, but do you think it's comparable to New York City in, in that you can you can go and do a lot of things in, in a condensed period of time? I, w- I would say that, like, as I, I – I mean, there's always stuff that I'm like, there's a show there? I didn't know there was a show there. Like, there is always something new to be seen in Philly. And before Corona, it was like you could get up pretty much any night of the week. And so that was good. I think that in – I mean, New York, those guys, like I have some friends in New York and they go fucking nuts. Like you could do like 10 in a night. Like I, and I, I don't personally, I do not do that. Like, but that's the thing is that I always thought that New York was way more about the grinding of it. And don't get me wrong. There are people in Philly that are working their asses off, but I just, I feel like it's not taken quite as harshly. There's like always this thing in New York. It feels like if like people are looking at you, you got to like be a little scene stir or whatever. And it's like in Philly, I just feel like it's, it's a good incubator. Everybody incubates well in Philly, I think. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's just like a, like the people in Lehigh Valley, if their goal is to move to Philly and then move to New York, like, like if that's like a probably insulting, but like, that's the, a starter city. I don't know. I don't, I don't give a shit. That's the thing is that you got to recognize the things as, as the tools of what they are. You're not going to get, picked up for a million dollar deal in Philly. And you got to like recognize that you got to have a head on your shoulders because for me, comedy is like a passion thing. I, I, it would be cool to get famous, but I don't give a shit about it that much. It's more about the making stuff for me and like the writing and the having fun getting recognized. Don't get me wrong. Getting recognized is fun and having sex with a stranger after you do really well at a show is awesome. But what's that like? It's uh, it's, it's below the belly button. (laughs) And uh, no, oh, okay, so, okay. No, really, yeah, yeah. really. I don't even know what sex is like, let alone <laughs> with somebody who who had sex after a show. Like, I've never. I don't think I've ever been funny enough to to get a flirt. Right? Yeah, like, crazy. like maybe it, maybe it has more to do with my appearance than nah, than no, my no, lack no. of humor. But I wonder. <laughs> like, it's it, that is interesting to me. I I don't want that to seem like I'm having sex after every show. I have I've made out with someone that was dressed as like a sexy Santa Claus. After a show once, she was completely wrecked. Uh, shout out, shout out to Dahoney. That's not who I had I made out with, but she knows the story. If she's listening to this, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I I left. Uh, it's a whole thing that'll that'll remain in comedy lore. Yeah, I that happens only every now and again. I don't know when comedy is sexy. That's weird because you know that that person is so fucked up that they've been thinking about this shit <laughs> for years, and yet. You're still like, I'm going to fuck that person. What? Right. I, I want that mess on top of me. In that my doesn't make life. Sense. No, yeah. not yeah, at all. That might be even worse. That might be even worse than like sleeping with him. It's like, oh, now he or she is going to be around for a while. And that's, I don't <laughs> yeah. need to invite that over into my you gotta, life. You got to contact that person. The only thing that's worse than you having sex with someone because they did well at a stand-up show is when I invite someone that I'm trying to have sex with to an improv show and they continue oh, to date me. Oh, it's awful. What a horrible. Yeah, they continue to date you. That's yeah. So, okay. We've got a comedian around here who has brought two first dates to the open mic. I've never seen these women before or afterward. So I, I mean, like he'll tell me, it's like, yeah, it didn't work out. I'm like, I know. Cause I saw yeah, your set, why man. Would it? 
<laughs> like, like that. I'm so nervous that, like, if I have friends in town, part of me wants them to be at the show. Part of me wants them to stay away because if I bomb that night, like yeah. the 20 years of funny goodwill is gone. They're oh, like, oh, so this was Mike has been running on one inside joke for 20 years. You know what? We don't need to. I live in North Carolina. I don't need to remember this guy at all. It'd be so easy to cut him out of my life. And what I just, fucking... I couldn't imagine bringing somebody I wanted to be intimate with for a while to see uh, my show. And oh, there's so much. Pre- I've done it before, but it's like the pressure on there is so much more uh, than it would be at a full show, you know? Uh, yeah. I, although I, I once brought this girl that I was sleeping with to a show at uh, the Raven Lounge. I brought a few people to the Raven Lounge, friends and people that I was trying to sleep with. And one, this girl that I brought there that I was like, I was pretty close to sleeping with this girl. And she was like, she le- she like leaned over and she was like, if you don't fucking crush this, I'm not going to sleep with you. And I was like, all right, time to strap on, man. Like, and I wow. did. I fucking, I had to put the ball on the tee because uh, look, you can't give it up. Uh, average person has seven sexual partners in their lifetime. I ain't getting my numbers cut down because of my fucking joke about Louis Armstrong or whatever the fuck I'm talking about. I, <laughs> I need to have that sex. I, that is truly the, what you said is the greatest pressure, but like if it's a friend that, you know, I had a friend that I was interested in sleeping with that I worked with comedically and I brought her the same show Raven lounge and that crowd can get really fucking tough, especially late at night because they're all drunk and I was like, you got to fucking put this shit on. I also, this is the thing is that, I don't know, do you feel this? Like, I mean, you you were saying sort of the, the opposite of this earlier, but like my only sexual gravitas and social currency is in comedy because I've invested yeah. so much time in it that like the only place that I am cool and, you know, sexualized or like known well for being cool is comedy and like, like that, that is one thing about like, I, I try, I've been trying to date during the pandemic. And if anybody wants to, you can email me at David Feinberg online at gmail.com. Um, uh, you can, uh, and like, I, I went on a date with this person and I just, I, I had nothing to fucking talk about or say, like I would bring my, I had a long-term girlfriend and we went to cave comedy open mic, which was a great show. And I like, I was like a, a member of the team there and I helped with the shows and shit. And so people were like, you know, high five in saying, what's up, things like that. And now, I, you know, I just ride my bike around and I fucking make like rubber stamp carvings. I'm like a prisoner. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's nothing left. Do you have that? Like, I feel like I don't have any fucking social currency anymore. Um, I'm 37 and I, I have very few friends outside of the comedy scene. So it's the only power I have in my life is, you know, I have a little bit of power over my three cats, but, you know, they <laughs> always win anyway. And that makes me feel like less of a person, not a man, but a person. But I run comedy shows and that helps. So here's where my anxiety kicks in is because I don't know if I have actual friends or I know people who want to do yeah. comedy shows. So like, like, and, and like, obviously they're friends, a lot of them, but it's like, I'm constantly weighing myself. So I get that. I try, I try to not think about my social currency within that group because I really, I don't know if I want to know the answer, you know, like it's, and I, I certainly, I actively try to not date in the community because, you know, it's just, 
it's not good. I, I've, t- I've, this is probably the only, uh, there's one time in college where I said no to a woman. The opportunity to do that doesn't, uh, doesn't really come around that often. <laughs> no, I've heard so, that. I've done that. <laughs> but, but in comedy, I've said no to everybody who's pursued me. And, uh, you know, one person slipped through the cracks, but like I said, no first. Uh, but yeah, I just, because, because of the position I'm in where, you know, I, I, I book a lot of rooms and, and shows and I run a mic that I really am cognizant about, you know, not taking advantage or, or at least letting that perception out that I'm, that I'm using somebody for, you know, sex or whatever. So, and, you know, I've got a journalism background, so I, I think that way too, where it's like, okay, no, be fair to everybody. And so try to quell whatever belief and bias somebody has against me. Yeah, so, yeah. That, no, but but yeah, I, I, I'm very measured. And that's prob- that probably comes with age. No, I, I get that. I'm I'm a fucking dummy running around right now. Like, it, <laughs> no, like, but enjoy it. I think that's the way to be right no, now. Like, no, like no, 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 you, you're almost, you almost are invincible. I, 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 this is all right. I fucked up my knee really badly like a year ago, and I was like, "You're not invincible anymore, man." Like, I, I am so aware. Like, I enjoyed the time that I had that I thought I was invincible, but now I'm like, I'm like, it's like I really do want to like. It's this weird time in life where I do want to like work on myself and shit like this, but like that is the odd thing of like choosing like patterns and ritual that are positive for yourself and for the community around you. But at the same time, like the only element of gatekeeperism I've ever really had was like, I got to help run a show like at a pretty popular mic. And that meant that I got to like, some people would come in sometimes and just like ask me to be put on the list because they were like performing a good, good or performing at helium or anything like that. But that was more package running than anything. And then the pandemic hit and I, I, my friend Liam Paris and I, we both got onto the team along with uh, our other friend, Frank Neblet, And we, we all got onto the team at the same time. And we like, I was like, this is where it's going to start. People are going to start booking me on shows. None of that shit happened. It really yeah. is the push yep. time that you put into it. Like it's, I just like, uh, I don't know, keeping it casual and keeping it out. Oh, you're eating away from where you're shitting. I feel like is such a big thing, especially because people can be your friends. People could be your enemies, but you can have really fucked up weird feelings if you're like in the same room as someone that you slept with for a while. Yeah, I also yeah, I, I haven't slept with comedians. Not that they offer, but uh, <laughs> well, you just keep being friendly to Jared. I'm sure he'll come around eventually. Right, right. I'm going to seduce Jared slowly. If you listen to the podcast, <laughs> all the first letters of all the episodes spell out "Please, for the love of God, fuck me," uh, and I chose that, <laughs> and that's pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> no, it makes sense. I thought I read that because I kind of wanted to fuck you. So, you know, it was weird. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, I yeah. look, I, I give off a nice energy and I got it like a gravelly voice, but not too bad. And I'm wearing Spaceballs shit right now. You can't see it. I'm wearing a Spaceballs t-shirt. And that's funny to people. I'm still, I love upset. It. I, I'm still surprised every time someone wants to sleep with me. I'll be honest. I'll put I, that on fucking ink. <laughs> I, uh, I think everybody who, you know, listens to this will be surprised as well. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I just redid my office and uh, you can't see it. It's off camera, but um, I've got a Mel Brooks uh, photo. It's huge. And it's got my favorite comedy quote. It says, tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you fall into when an open sewer and die. And die. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love that quote. Isn't that great? Uh, Mel Brooks is the best. He is. He, uh, that was like my comedy upbringing was on that shit. I like listened to the producer, watched the producers like a million times with my dad. 
growing up. And that was like how it all started. So I, I give real kudos to my dad for helping out with that shit. And then as time goes on, my mom doesn't want to admit, it's funny that we brought that up because my mom thought my standup was too crass. And then I, my mom used to work in cable news. Like she used to work late, like late night news dispatching and shit. And she was the crassest motherfucker. At the end of her goodbye tape, it's everybody flipping off the camera and going up yours because <laughs> she used to say up yours so often to people. Yeah. I'm putting Debbie on blast tonight because she's a fucking hypocrite. I don't think you can work in the journalism business without right. without swearing, without picking up a whole lot of habits. And the atmosphere is so conducive to negativity because – it, it's almost like customer service because it, it really is because you can't be belligerent to a source, you know, like, like the people will be awful. I mean, you could look at everything that happened politically over the last, you know, probably ever, but really the last four or five years. And all these reporters have to be nice to people who will turn around to their, you know, pen at a Trump rally and give them the finger. And like until recently, there was that one guy, I don't know if he was in Philly or somewhere, but he turned around and told the guy to fuck off. Like that was like yeah. like a, a release of five years of pent up frustration at a Trump fan and who called it fake news. You know, it turns around and goes, fuck off. And it was captured on camera. It was perfect. But I think everybody in the news industry has dealt with so much bullshit that if you can't if you can't tell your coworkers to fuck off and like not hurt a feeling i don't i don't know if you've been in there long like it's you just have to it's like <laughs> right. a rite of passage oh yeah i uh that is i'm in i'm in a uh, teacher right now and not like today we had a day off and i like i, I just I, I love to throw a curse word around every now i also sometimes i come home into my roommate i'm just like dumb dog dicks that are bleeding you know like just really <laughs> fucked up gross nonsense and sometimes you gotta blow that blow the the gas off the pipes like i said you know that's what comedy should be about what do you or teach? just enjoy you know what i hope that no one listens to this and they're like i should start doing comedy if you if you think that you need to do comedy try just enjoying comedy be a good comedy fan right, those are who right, we appreciate right. more than anyone in the world there are people that used to come to our open mic and they were like we just love comedy we just love watching comedy and i was like you're the best you got into the hobby far enough that it was good but you didn't get so far into it that it was like fucked up you're just enjoying yourself on sundays getting drunk you don't got to do shit and it's great because like you can go to a show and then leave a show and not be pissed off a little bit because you weren't booked on the show. Like oh, yeah. you you have all the enjoyment without any of the bitterness. Oh, if only if only to be a comedy fan. Oh, <laughs> just I to think it's sit. it's totally and that's totally unavoidable too. Like I remember when I I mean not that it's changed. I mean even during the pandemic I've been doing so much on Zoom and like I, I've only been asked on a few Zoom shows and I'm like resenting people for not asking me. And it's like, dude, like how deep are you in this where, you know, you're going to let that get to you? Like, just be happy that you're doing anything. And it's like, but I, I just think I'm that wound up in it. And and I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be to the point where, you know, enough shows is going to be enough. It's just kind of a oh, it's, after a while, it's a sickness. It's too fun. Though that's the thing is that it's like a drug that like is totally dependent right. on your fucking friends booking you and shit. And every time, even to be like, oh, you ever, uh, you ever like talking to somebody and you go like, I can't, I got to go do a show. You sound like the coolest motherfucker in the world. I 
love that I'd pay a million dollars. One time I was just, this is how narcissistic a comedian is. I was thinking about in the shower this morning, a time where I was, there was a place at Temple where everybody would smoke pot and somebody on the other side of it, like a bunch of like beautiful artist stoner women were like, do you want to go see that show tonight? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I'm on that show. Like I got to, and I did, you know, what's the crazy part is that that narcissistic feeling was better than having said something to them. I didn't say anything. I just felt the feeling and then went to the show. And I was like, they'll see me. They'll know. I'm like, of course they did it. But that, oh, if you could bottle that thing, you could sell that at Spencer's Gifts for a million fucking dollars. It's like such a nice, I mean, albeit small and minor form of celebrity. Oh, it's, it's like, great. you know what? Like I, cause I'll, I'll go somewhere like, oh yeah. I, and it only happens a few times, but it's like, oh yeah, I, I saw you at that show. You're really funny. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And you know, I've got to pay them back because you know, I promised them like five bucks to say it so people could hear it, but <laughs> right. you know, it's worth yeah. the money. Oh, absolutely. So you're, you're, <laughs> so you're a big, big Mel Brooks fan. Uh, who else did you watch yeah. growing up? Oh my God. Okay. So I was a huge, my mom brought me to see La Caja fall when I was little which is what the birdcage is based off of, which oh, okay. it's, it's so, and I was in like first grade when I saw this thing. And I, I, of course, all the humor went like right over my head, but you start to like get the fucked up, like dirty joke, hand job mentality of the whole thing. That was one of the first things. And I loved doing theater when I was growing up, especially like funny theater. There was that Mel Brooks movies. My dad and I, like that was like the currency between me and my dad was like trading Mel Brooks quotes and just trading comedy quotes back and forth. And really like, same thing. I was too young for it, but just soaking it in and making that like our dynamic. So that was like classic comedy and like theater stuff. And then I watched movies religiously growing up. Like one of the first things I learned how to do, like like Robin Williams in Aladdin was a very, very big influence. And then I started getting into YouTube YouTube is my favorite website ever. And the thing at my school that became like a social currency was comedy videos for a while. And it was about who could find the coolest and the best and the weirdest and the most fucked up and the funniest jokes. So like all the original Donald Glover, like Derek comedy stuff and Murder Fist, which is like Henry Zabrowski's sketch team and uh, fucking like... Uh, picnic face stuff and the guys coming out of Canada and like uh, just a weird internet sketch culture became a huge part of our school. And then like Britannic and then like, just like all these weird fucking videos. And then it became like movies and getting into like, uh, you know, obviously family guy became a thing for a while. There was huge, influences though I, I would say that the the influences for me came it was like two things meeting at a central point of like very classic comedy i loved richard pryor growing up that n-words crazy is like was very formative to me and then also just this like intermingling of weird fucked up disgusting internet sketches and learning that i could do those things and just be weird and fucked up about it 
but also like go out and do like just sort of classic stand-up stuff has been such a great joy. I mean, it's like being able to drink two kinds of soda. I just I like them both for different reasons, but I I I get cravings for different ones at different times. By listening to So Tell Us, it's really and this this is why I thought you were older because when you guys are asking questions, uh, you both approach it, and you especially seem to be very analytical in you know how you dissect comedy and what you like like like, uh, like that's why i thought you were six years older than you were because you know i, I thought <laughs> yeah. i thought you know i didn't know how long you'd been doing comedy i mean it's five years so that's it's pretty good but i was thinking oh like 12 years like like jared is leeching onto this guy who he thought could take him somewhere <laughs> and then you know i find out no it's just some <laughs> schmuck from temple <laughs> you know, but like but but it's clear you put you've done the homework yeah man that's all i gave a shit about that's all anyone should give a shit about, man, is comedy is great. Comedy tells you why you shouldn't be fucking serious all the time. It allows you to even in really sad moments to laugh your ass off and shit like that. I don't mean to wax poetic about it, but comedy is the fucking best. And like every time that someone's like, oh, my fucking stand up is going. Nowhere, it's like you get to tell jo- like you. I don't know. You could have chosen like bird watching as a profession and maybe that would have been healthier. But like, yeah. Why Why not fucking enjoy this weird, crazy hobby that you get to do? I love I love comedy, man. I hope it never goes away. I think comedy for me is so important. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I told this story on this podcast and, and on yours, but when I got stabbed, I had to make a joke about it. Like I was in the um, the ER and, you know, uh, everybody was saying, welcome to Baltimore. And it's like, all right, at a certain point, like, like it, you have to laugh at it because like, how many people are going to tell me like, like I know it's a murder capital that like Baltimore and Camden are racing for the title every year. But the next day, my, uh, I went to dinner with my ex-girlfriend and uh, we weren't dating. We were maybe going to get back together. And eventually I was like, Oh no, she really does love women. So I don't do that. <laughs> and uh, so, so you know, off. everybody makes mistakes. So, uh, but we were, <laughs> we were at dinner and I was telling her about what happened. And and uh, she knew I was stabbed. I called her. So she was like, just getting the full story now. So I looked down at her and in her left hand. She's twirling a steak knife. And I was like, I was like, are you doing that on purpose? She goes, yep. And I'm like, that's perfect. I was like, that just made me fall in love a little more because like it wasn't 20. I mean, it was maybe 16 hours since I had been stabbed. And already yeah. she's going for the jokes. And I'm like, yeah. if you can't go right for the joke, I don't know. It's just weird to me. Like, like, and I, 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 I have a hard time hanging out with people who are uber sensitive about, I don't care about the topics, but it's like, yeah, if you can't take a joke about yourself, I don't know. It's just really tough for me to hang out with you at all. Yeah. I get that. That is one of those weird things. And I, I, I understand that we could have a whole other hour of discussion about this, but it's like, I, I am not someone who makes jokes about like, like I, I would never like about touchy topics. I would say, I say things, I say like, kike on stage and shit like that but like i i also do like, I. it's fun it's fun yeah yeah right and in the bathroom you know like uh, <laughs> yeah. look and if there's a lot of them around i'm gonna say something right it's well, my town you gotta point out the obvious here. yeah right look if you're gonna ruin my city i get to say something about it huh that's they right think they could take over everything anyway uh i <laughs> i fucking like i'm not someone that's like i'm not like uber sensitive but i am like a bit touchy about it and like a funny joke is a funny joke, even though it might be fucked up to people. And like, I will recognize when a good joke is good. 
but it's like there is it's such a strange dynamic with that kind of a thing of like if you say something really fucked up like uh it it is fucked up but it's it's really funny like like i love that i like that those kinds of people and having those people in your life befriend some if you're hot or cool befriend a comedian because we we need it and we would love to have you there i got a friend who's a rapper and uh so try that on for size america yeah I got a cool <laughs> friends through my weird Plus, hobby. Plus, like, if you're really attractive, the good part about hanging out with a comedian is we're only going to make you look better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. we're You're going to look fantastic. You can wear a shirt. You could spray barbecue sauce all over your shirt, and people will think you're still gorgeous when you're hanging out with comedians. We've got five looks, so check them out. Everything from hoodie to uh, sweater uh, will be represented <laughs> this fall and beyond at open mics in your area. My God. We're, we're, we're basically homeless people with a part-time job. <laughs> There's some hot comedians, but they're, they're successful and they won't hang out with us. <laughs> you know? Yeah, really. Like, like, why would they? Like, I wouldn't want them to hang out with me anyway. Like, that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't want to drop their stock. You know, that's not, that's not fun. <laughs> That's the thing is that if you're a hot person and you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting into comedy, don't. Don't do that. You've already got your thing. You got your thing and you get to rock it hard as shit. And uh, if you want to go into comedy, you leave it for us. Leave it for us, the okay looking people that need it right. for the leg up in life, please. Yeah, we've we've got nothing. Like all we have is humor. And some would say we don't even have that. So right? let us cling to the scraps. Oh, yeah. Come on. You are the lions and we are the vultures. Please let us have some of this gazelle. <laughs> All we want is a little of the carcass. That's it. We uh, mm, Yum. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your worst set you've ever had? Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I've, I've had horrible sets because I get really mad when I uh, if I don't do well for a long time, I would get really mad. Uh, the the worst one I've ever had, I think, was the first paid gig I ever did was at a place called Joe's Crab Shack in uh, Newark, Delaware. And this guy hit up a friend of mine and he was going to pay him like 75 bucks or something. And he was going to pay me like $20 or some shit. And we got there and it was a sold out black audience and all the other comedians on the show besides us were black and we like two there were two there were like 10 comedians on this show and they sent out two guys in front of me and they both bombed and then i went up and i'm just i was like not even a year in and i was like i'm just up there bombing and like telling dumb shit and people are eating really, really loud. Like people are eating and talking at their tables, not even listening. And the trouble with if you do a, a like a, a an entirely black room is like if you bomb, you can blame it. You can say that no one in the room is listening, but then someone can come up after you and tell a joke that's really good like connects and the whole room because black people are animated and express themselves on like white people and like so i i went up and i'm just eating it eating it eating it i didn't have five minutes i had like maybe three minutes of material at this point and the oldest black lady in the front row of this crowd 
I like tell some dumb joke about hybrid cars or some shit. And I go, all right, well, you didn't like that one. And she just quiet as could be. And so lovingly goes, it's all right, baby. And it just like, it just like hit me because it was like as far away. It was like 10 feet away. And it just like hit me. And I, and I just like saying thank you to this woman who's sitting right in front of me. And it's just like, it like claps along. Like when I tell a joke, oh, what a horrible, horrible, that and I've, I've bombed like improv shows in front of like 400 people, but that, that's a different story for a different day. Shout out Detroit Improv Festival. A lot of the people up there were cool, but we fucked that one up bad. My goal, uh, the black rooms are are fun, but they're, it's some pressure because they're such a good audience. Like, like I think they pay attention a whole lot more than white rooms at times. But my lord, they are not afraid to let you know you suck. Oh yeah, they won't and, bullshit you. No, and and uh, my goal, and this almost happened on a Zoom mic, believe it or not. But my goal, uh, I was at a show one time, and I don't think I was on it, but I saw somebody tell a joke that made this black guy in the front get up and dance around the table. It was so he was so tickled with it. And I said to myself, that is my new goal in comedy. I want to be funny enough New York to State. make a black guy dance. And because I don't think you could top it. <laughs> and I <laughs> that there's that's a good I, sound bite right there. That's the episode right there. Yeah, yeah, really. I want to make a black guy and dance. I, I it was <laughs> people would be like, who the fuck? It was, was on, on a Zoom mic, and I told <laughs> but yeah, Ugh. this happened in the Zoom mic. I, I told a joke about Walmart and this guy uh, was like, he texted me about it and he's like, hey, man, that was awesome. And he, I could see him just clapping. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I, I want to count it. I want to count it. But he didn't get up. So I don't know if right. I'm like graded on the curve because it's on, online. But oh, it's almost right. there. Uh, you, that's, but they I give you that. such great validation. Oh, yeah. I love that. When you, when you hit that rhythmic stride, my shit – like when I was before Corona, I really felt like I was hitting a good stride piece. And I love getting into that rhythmic side of it where you're just like, you keep hitting them with stuff and you know, the next line that's coming up. I love that shit of like, when you know that you've got the next thing in your pocket and there's like a table full of old, I love a table full of old ladies that I can make fucking laugh. And that's not even a sexual thing. I know it sounds sexual when I say it like that. Cause I'm snarling, but like, Getting old ladies to laugh. Oh, it's that's my fucking shit right there. Oh, I love it. Damn. I miss you, old ladies. If you're listening to this podcast, I miss you when you come to a you know, comedy that, show and you don't know what's going on yeah. and you ask us what I think my, if there's a I concert. think my main audience I think my main audience is old ladies. So you're you're good there. Oh yeah, yeah. The we checked out the demo graphic and uh and uh, the demographic graphic and uh we we were like oh yeah these are these are old these are fucking uh depends wearers that's why uh today's episode is sponsored <laughs> by uh calling uh people of color boy uh call it <laughs> no okay all right <laughs> uh, yeah have you ever had they that paid me 25 old... bucks for that <laughs> that's a fucking oh god my grandmother damn we could get into that my racist ass grandmother but Hey, look! I won't shit on her here. That's for the stage. Well, let's talk maybe. about let's talk about uh, another racist person, uh, Jared sure. McCallie. Yes, uh, let's call him out yeah. right here, right now. Yeah, definitely. He's a horrible person. Uh, yeah. How do you how do you like doing the podcast with him? And not with him, but how do you like doing the podcast at, at all? Um, the podcasting has been an interesting and very new experience. I do love 
fostering conversations with comedians because when we get into like the comedy science behind it, that is a great joy of mine. And that has been really nice. Working with Jared has been an interesting thing. We are coming to it with very different things about what we wanted to get out of this show. And when we started, like Jared is much more conversational and I'm a lot more form formal about things. But like as time has gone on, it's nice to be working in tandem with someone else because you start adopting things of theirs and they start adopting things of yours. So Jared is like a, a it's interesting also because Jared is a lot more like jokey on stage, I would say. And I try to be really very conversational. But when it comes to the show, he's very conversational and I'm sort of like very by the book formulaic. Jared and I like at the we really wanted to like at the beginning of the whole process be like, this should be like it's like an an exercise and slowly it's morphed into a lot of different things but working with him has been really interesting in terms of number one he's got a wonderful work ethic and he's a fantastic person to make something with but he also he's like he's pretty exact where i can be kind of silly and he's he pushes it's it's like having a gym buddy and that's i think right. what was nice about the whole process was like if I did the show just by myself, it would be nary impossible. I, I couldn't push myself to do it. I don't want to disappoint Jared, and that's why the show continues on. And I, I hope that it's mutual in some way. I really, I love doing the show with him. It's been a really nice thing in our friendship, and uh, just like as collaborate, I just love collaborating with people. And this has been probably the longest term collaboration based project outside of like. TV shows that I've worked on or open mics that I've been with. It's been a really quite a wild process. You know, I listen to every episode and I, I really do enjoy it. And I think what what I like most Thank about you. it is you can tell that you both compliment each other. And, you know, Thank and you. just, you know, now, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be on the podcast so I could see you guys work together. And it was kind of cool to get that inside look. But yeah, you know, from your first episode to your 20th or whatever it is, uh, you could definitely see that there's been a lot of growth, too. And yeah. have, you, have you become more comfortable with interviewing people? Yeah, I, I came to it. I used to, I made a documentary in college and that we learned a little bit about the interviewing process and things like that. And I tend to try to be really analytical uh, with comedy and the, the process of interviewing at the beginning, especially if you listen to the early episodes is very much about trying to get those big, deep questions in. But there's also times where we just want to be hanging out. Like that's why we bring people on the podcast. Sometimes it's just like to chat and just be with each yeah. other. And because that is something that unfortunately is like missing from our lives. But then at the same time, it's also been such an interesting process of like meeting people that like Sam Ike and fucking like Chanel Ali and like all of these people that are like really like many, many steps ahead of me comedically, but that were super willing to come on the podcast uh, because they have nothing else to do. And, uh, (laughs) you know, so it was just this really cool process and it's been really nice because people have been so lovely about it. I, I love it and I love any sort of, I think the great joy in artistic process is feeling the way that your relationship with it changes. And that's been the same with this thing that it is, I, I do approach these things as like being a honed skill. And as it gets different, every time it changes and it's always changing, it uh, it becomes even more 
exciting and uh, rewarding to work with. Yeah, I've noticed that, uh, you know, and I've done, I don't know how many, uh, I think I've, I've done about 65, 66 episodes and like I've got a ton in the can. So, you know, uh, recordings, I, I've got that many. And every time I get done with one, I think that's the best one that I have, or I'm really excited to get that one out. And it sucks because I'm so far ahead that I'm like, oh, this one might have to sit for a month or two. And I don't, I don't want to not put it out right away because I feel like, oh, this conversation is so great. And I think that's a product of probably narcissism, uh, but, but also like, you know, I'm more comfortable asking questions and, and uh, I feel like I get a deeper rapport and, and like you and I don't know each other super well. So I spend an hour trying to get to know you and ask the questions that I think, you know, everybody should know. So uh, that's what I really like about the interviewing process. And uh, I'm always jealous a little bit with somebody who is working with another person or two people or three people because I'm not wired that way. I'm motivated by deadlines. So like like uh, me working alone and I'm never going to feel like I, I can't get something done by Friday. Like Friday is going to be my deadline and I'm set. Like th- I'm comfortable with that. If I were working with somebody... I would be more stressed because, you know, if, if I were working with Jared and he couldn't meet on Monday, uh, you know, I'd like, okay, well, then we've only got a day left before we do this. That would just irritate me. So the fact that you guys can balance it out to where you don't hate each other after half a year, that's fantastic. It's yeah, it's wild. I, I would be lying if I said that it wasn't Jared dragging my ass along. I mean, he really, he helps us. He's like a, he's a Superman when it comes to this shit. I really, I try to tell him I love him as much as I can because uh, he's, he, I'm, I'm really, it's been wonderful to grow our friendship. That's one thing, but also to just, I mean, he works very hard and he's very, he's a smart dude with these kinds of things and working with him has been really, really great. And like, that is the weird thing about it is that like, I, I wish I was someone that could like work with deadlines and like work on my own shit but like i i really having a a friend to do it with has been such a nice process and it's also it's like kind of cool to you know be like part of a team and like moving through this thing together that you both have your hands in the controls that's the thing is that we we're not taking it like too too seriously and yet people still reach out and they're like we love it and it's insane even to hear that you have listened to every fucking episode is bananas and like sometimes people hit up the podcast i'm sure you get this too but like Sometimes people will hit up the podcast to be like, I just listened to this episode. That was so fucking great. Like this, this, and that. Like, oh, that was such a motivation and shit like this. And it, that is fucking nuts. Like I, I really, the compliments and the really kind things have been so lovely to get from people. When I started doing this podcast, I didn't think anybody would listen at all. And the fact that like I could, I look at my numbers every freaking minute. Like it's like, it, it, it's obsessive. And uh, the fact that it grows every day, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, and, and not that, you know, I'm not like my favorite murder or, you know, uh, Tuesdays with, with stories. But like, you know, the numbers are way higher than I ever thought they would be for me, you know, a guy in Binghamton. And I do get the compliments and, you know, they don't come as frequently as they should, I guess. But uh, they're so nice to hear. And the fact that, you know, I've been told that, hey, this made me want to get into comedy. And I'm like, wow, that's really, I definitely thought that would go the other way. Uh, but I'm very thankful that it didn't. Uh, so it's really nice. And yeah, I just, right. you know, I, I never know how to accept a compliment. Like it's, it will never feel comfortable. <laughs> <for me. laughs> Legitimately never. though. 
Uh, I'll be ah, uh, thank no, the audience was great. Thank you very much. That you yeah. know, that's nice yep. of you. But ah, uh, I was just, it wasn't even me. I just got lucky. Ah, uh, I never learned. Uh, my dad never looked me in the eye. Uh, yeah, you know, crazy <laughs> shit like that. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I I also like like stand up sets. They're there, and sometimes you get a tape of one, and you post like a little clip of it or something. But I really do like having this like backlog library of things that we've made. And I love something that you can like walk around with and that still exists and that people can dive into making catalogs of things is really lovely to me. And that, that process has been really nice too, of like listening to, if you listen to old stuff and then you listen to new stuff, like I think that is one of the joys of comedy is seeing how things evolve and morph and get bigger and smaller and really change up. The change should be the thing that's, exciting in my eyes like the change should be the thing that gets you up and out of bed and going to shows and making a thing and i i love that process and that in this whole thing comedy and the podcast itself has been lovely there's been a lot of change it's bananas to even think about yeah Ooh. wow well man uh you know i appreciate being here uh let's get out of here but uh how can people follow along with you uh, you can, uh, follow me, uh, on Instagram at DMF XYZ. I post weird ass bullshit there all the time. And when things start coming back, that's where I always post my shows. Um, you can check out at so tell us pod for the so tell us podcast. And you could send me, you know what? I want to put this out there. If you want to send me an email, email David Feinberg online at gmail.com. I would love to, I have to delete some emails. I got 95% full storage, but I would love to get an email from you just and chat. You could call me on, if you email me, I will send you an email back. It will have my phone number and you can call me on the phone and we can talk. I'm very bored. So uh, yeah, hit me up on all those places. Um, and uh, yeah, support local comedy in the arts. And uh, I hope uh, live well and uh, be happy, be safe. Uh, and may your heart find peace, you know? I just want to let you, and that was really sweet, and I shouldn't say anything else, but I just want to let you know that, you know, I think I've interviewed 65, 66 people, and you're the only person who said, please call me. Like, I want to talk to you on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I would love, I love that shit. I would love to have people call me up, you know? I mean, I will be like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) there will be a learning curve, but uh, you just, uh, you hang on and we'll become friends. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Again, I appreciate it. I had a whole lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you in a bit. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.